I'm Michael Parr, and you are listening to the Sound of the Loons podcast. afternoon or evening depending on when this finds you welcome to the sound of the loons podcast i'm steve mcpherson i'm here with Callum williams and we are in scenic kansas city for tonight's game between your minnesota united and someone else's sporting kansas city let's talk barbecue because <laughs> this is kansas city i have now been to arthur bryant's plowboys gates and then last night i uh, went to q39 on the strength of ike opara's recommendation uh, i had the ribs and the brisket uh, both of which were sublime I, I don't know if I'm ready to make uh, power rankings. You know, I don't know. I think I need a little more experience. Uh, and there's a couple I have left to try. But my our Lyft driver, I think, had the absolute move, uh, which is to get she goes to Arthur Bryant's and picks up meat and then takes it home and puts the gate sauce on top oh. of it. Because I love the gate sauce. I can tell for sure. So um, I still need to go. I want to go to Jack Stack is one that I want to mm-hmm. go to. I have not been to Joe's Kansas City, which is you oh, know, really? one of the, you know, the, the institutions. It, absolutely. Yeah. And then uh, I had a couple of recommendations for LCs, which I have not been to either. But uh, that is uh, that that was that was recommended to me as well. Um, what's you lived here for many years. You uh, spoke fondly of Q39 as well. What what are some of your favorite barbecue experiences and places? Yeah, the um, I must admit, after I first tried them many a moon ago, I now am of the opinion that angels make okay. burnt ends. Burnt ends, okay. Yes. Yes, uh, the burnt ends at Q39 were particularly recommended. We bumped into Ike after we got back, and he said he is not a burnt ends guy, but Q39 makes him a burnt ends guy. I so. was going to say, Ike, what on earth is wrong with you? <laughs> because the burnt ends at Q39 are heavenly. They yes. are ridiculous. Um, I highly recommend Joe's KC because it's in a gas station, and the yeah. setting is fabulous, and, and right. everything that you could possibly imagine it to be, it is, and more. Um Jack Stack is good, and I was just mentioning to, to yourself and your roommate uh, TJ here that um, that is on uh, on a, uh, in a lovely place called the Plaza here in KC, okay. where there's lots of lovely restaurants and, and bars and shops and everything you could ever want. And, and I, I lived not too far from that area when I was here, and uh, yeah, Jack Stack's is is very very good, but. That the new one, which the Kansas Cityans are going crazy about, is the one that you experienced last night, Q39. Yeah, it was terrific. I really the, the vibe was nice. Uh, a robust list of beers. I had uh, Tank Seven, which is my perennial <laughs> favorite in Kansas City, uh, and it was terrific. I also tried your favorite, the wheat. Oh, uh, what do you think? It was good. It was good. I was. Uh, it, it's not. It's not in my wheelhouse for beers. Like okay. it's. It, it's a fairly. It's interesting because in a lot of ways it tastes to me like a fairly straight ahead beer but just with a little bit more brightness to it okay um and i thought it was good but i sort of go in for those i like the sort of i like ip juicy ipas i like the sort of, tank seven has that floral belgian thing going with it that uh i really like that so you like a good slap in the face don't I, you? yeah I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean it depends on the mood you know sometimes if it's really hot out i like a good corona or something like that that's just light you know but um i was also talking to assistant coach mark watson uh, yesterday, and I we decided that one of the best things about 
MLS expansion is that in the next two years, we're going to be able to go to Nashville and Austin. Yes. So we're expanding the barbecue tour of MLS. <laughs> so we'll be able to make some more informed judgments about other about other parts of America and their their barbecue. Just the, the most important thing of all is judging the barbecue. I'm convinced that's what Don Garber wants to do himself. He doesn't really care about why we're going to certain places right. other than, right. right, what's the barbecue when, like there? I know. I can settle this for you. When 2022 <laughs> is like Memphis, yeah. and <laughs> you'll know exactly what's happening. So, um, all right, let's talk about what happened in Orlando, which now feels like ancient history because um, so much goes on all the time. Um, I think that in some ways, you know, Minnesota United is once again sort of back at that point just before the start of the Open Cup where the goals just weren't coming. Um, and, you know, Adrian Heath has talked about, you know, creating chances, just not finishing those chances. Those the finishing needs to be better. It's not entirely clear exactly how that finishing gets better. Like, what do you like? What do you think? Just in your opinion, as an experienced soccer analyst, like, what are things you see that you think? And I'm not saying like this is what they should do or anything like that. You know, we're not trying to prescribe how sure. things happen. Obviously, there's a lot of moving parts that come into this. But just as a fan and somebody who watches, are there, thing, are there things you see that you're like, well, this this needs to change? Um, it's a shame because if you look at our three center forwards now, if you had a little piece of every single one of them in one player, <laughs> it'd be perfect. Sure, yeah. And it probably, and I say this with all due respect, wouldn't be MLS. It wouldn't be in MLS then, but... Um, I, I just think, you know, Angelo is, is, is good at doing what he does, no doubt about it. But I have said since we signed him, I never thought he was going to be a 15, 20-goal season scorer. He just doesn't um, have that in his resume. Um, I think Abu scoring against Orlando was going to do wonders for his confidence. If ever there was a player that needed a goal, it was him. Um, and uh, Abu, you, you just... You just expected so much more from him because of that rookie campaign. I must admit, I thought 2018, I thought this could be a breakout year. He could pull a Kyle Lowry and then go off to Europe after this, you know, and we've been extremely fortunate uh, to have him. But it just didn't work out. He had a load of injury issues. And then I thought to myself, right, okay, that was the sophomore slump. Now you move into this new stadium with the new pieces that Minnesota United have brought in. It's a lot more creative, this team. He'll have no problem scoring goals. He'll be fine. This is the season. And it still hasn't quite worked. Um, whereas Mason, whilst he, he, he's still young and raw and, and has a tremendous amount to learn, is good for this team right now because I think more than a boo and certainly more than Angelo, I think Mason stretches the back line. Now, with the way that Adrian plays with the three behind the forwards, the wide players aren't necessarily, and I say in inverted commas, wide players. We've said before, they're more sort of ten and a halves, where if they need to go out wide and play the ball in, they will. But more often than not, their first thought is, I'm going to tuck inside and try and get in between the fullback and the centre half. Ethan Finlay does that supremely well. And what, now seven, eight goals in all competitions this season for him, he's been revitalized. Um, and, and what we're seeing now as well a little more, particularly when, when Quintero is, is playing in, in the number 10 role, or, you know, I mean, look, I'm interested to see who, who plays there this evening um, and throughout the uh, last nine games or, or so. But 
what we're seeing is because Molino and Finlay, they do press and they, they are allowed to press because of someone like Mason and sometimes Abu, although Abu still needs some work on the soccer IQ part of it. He needs to understand which run to make and why he's making this run. Sometimes you make a run not to benefit you. You know, it's to benefit a secondary runner or something. You right, know? right. And, and so I think Abu needs to work on that slightly. Um, Mason, I think, as I said, is, is after so many months of work, has, has, has caught it and understands it now. So when he makes a run and, and perhaps, you know, drags out a centre-back out of position, then Molino or Finlay can, can run on, they can press, and they can either get in between the gaps that has been exposed by the centre-forward, or if the centre-forward hasn't bought the run from the Minnesota forward, it presses them back. So then that means whoever's playing in the number 10 role has a load of room to manoeuvre. So the, the, it's a difficult question to, to answer, Steve, because I think every centre-forward that Minnesota United have at the moment have their own traits and their own values. But I think right now, with uh, nine games plus the Open Cup final remaining, I have to say I would probably go with Mason Toy moving forward. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think that there's also... Um, I mean, what you've seen is teams are much more are bunkering in against Minnesota United. We, we've touched on this before, but you're seeing a lot more like seven, eight guys in the box, uh, you know, like sort of setups from teams defensively. And I think that, that it's sort of this question of like, as a team, as a player, as an individual player gets better, the ways that they play end up being stymied by opposition who figures out how to do it, right? And then they have to figure, they have to grow laterally into something else. I think that's true of teams as well. And I think that right now you're seeing uh, opponents starting to bunker against Minnesota United, particularly in Allianz Field. And the team as a whole has to start getting, you know, more creative or finding new angles or ways to pull that apart because you're seeing this, you know, we've seen this proliferation of crosses, like sending those crosses in, especially as, as stuff gets, gets tight toward the end of games. Um, and I think that there's not, it's not, there's not really like a problem with the idea of crossing per se, as Adrian had pointed out, like Manchester City scores a lot off of crosses. We talk about them as this beautiful game, but they also do a lot of that. But I think it's worth asking the question of like, is the personnel, and you sort of touched on this with like the different strengths of the different forwards, mm. like is the personnel that Minnesota has right now capable of doing that kind of thing? There's actually, there's a good article by uh, Colin O'Donnell at E Pluribus Lunum. He digs into some analytics on this um, and across the league. And he found that, you know, one of, one of the things he found is that two of the teams that are most successful with crosses in the league are the Galaxy and the Rapids. Now, you know what those teams have. They've got a big sense of Zlatan and Kai Kamara. <laughs> so, you know, it's not that, like, crosses are the, are the problem per se. It can be part of your balanced diet of, you know, how you, how you get points. But right now it's just very predictable. I, I think that Minnesota United right now, and again, this is one of those things about how does the team adjust to this, that teams have seen, we're going to bunker in, right? And that takes away the middle and it forces Minnesota out wide. But then sending it in from out wide, they're, they're bunkered in the middle. And teams have just been able to rebuff those attacks. So, I mean, I think, as you said, the, this question of, like, who's in that number 10 slot going forward, like, that could change a lot. Like, a different approach in that zone that's at the top of the box could, could change that in a lot of ways. So. Don't be surprised, and I'm, I have no knowledge of this, but don't be surprised if Robin Lurd plays this number 10 role a little sure. bit moving forward as well, because he did it for Panathinaikos in Greece, he did it for Sporting Gijon in uh, in Spain as well, and he did it quite effectively. Not in terms of scoring goals, but his uh, assists were uh, quite consistent. So it wouldn't surprise me. And I also think as well, it's difficult to judge Robin Lerd right now because he's essentially coming off the back of a full season, a teeny tiny break, 
um, just enough to, to get him out of match shape. Right. And then you're asking him to come in and, and, and be effective straight away. You know, it's, it's a lot to ask of him right now. But what I will say is I think Robin Lourdes, um we're only sort of seeing 70% of what we'll actually see overall right. um, in the end. And, and I, I know they like him. Obviously, they've chased him for a while. They've, they've monitored him for some time. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if, if we see him in that role um, you know, moving forward for, for the remaining games and, and, and certainly into next year. Yeah, and I think that, you know, you'll see the team change and adjust. You'll see changes to the lineups and, like, exactly what Lud is going to do and things like that. I think we should also st- point out that it's, it's a lot harder for teams to change, you know, in a sort of conscious, tactical way partway through the season than we think, you know, because I think that sometimes we have this impression, you know, like, if you play <laughs> video games, changing tactics is going into a menu and pushing a bunch of buttons and then, and then the, the tactics are different. You know, we think it's like the coach is going to come in and be like, hey, guys, Instead of crosses, why don't we try this? And they're going to be like, oh, okay, let's do that. And then they do that. <laughs> it, it doesn't work like that. There's right. not a lot of time, especially with these double game weeks, and something I've talked to the assistant coaches about too, that to make those changes because you're out of a game, the next day is, is regen, or you need to give the players just a straight-up day off sometimes. And then you're back to like, you know – getting in shape, like uh, judging what you're going to do. And then the game happens, <laughs> you know, there's not a lot of time to wholesale say, this is how we're going to change our mindset of how we approach attacking. Y- some of that just has to happen through the players figuring out as they go. And that's a slow process. And it's, it, it's probably best in some ways if it is organic, you know, because then you, they find the right ways to play together in ways mm-hmm. that are very effective. So, you know, it's, um, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see what, what kind of lineup shifts happen. I think that Mason has been maybe the most effective in the air. Um, I believe that's the case based on sort of players who hit his his sort of minutes. He's been pretty good uh, in, in terms of his performance in the air. So, you know, and we hope that as something that would develop, he's got the size and the athleticism to be good in the air. So that could be something that helps with those crosses and things like that. Um, as far as... Um, Darwin Quintero right now, it, it seems like he just doesn't look crisp. You know, like some of the, those, he, he's so reliant as a player on, uh, you know, split second decisions and fooling guys with dribbles and things like that. And, 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 and doing the unexpected and some of it just seems to be coming. It's a little slow for him right now. Mm-hmm. Um, some of his finishing seems a little bit like if he just was a little more decisive on some of those things, it, it could go a lot better for him. What do you, it, is that just a mental shift you think he needs to make if he's if he's going to hold on to his position? I mean, one of the things that the staff talks about all the time is competition for spots. You've got guys who can play that playmaker role. Um, you know, like, does he just need to be pushed? Possibly. Um, it's difficult, though, isn't it, Steve? Because at the end of the day, it's Darwin Quintero who can turn the game upside down with, sure. you know, the opportunity of a single solitary second. Um, it, it's difficult. Um I would agree with you, and I don't think he looks as sharp as you would expect. But having said that, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know his goal-scoring record hasn't been as bad as people have portrayed it to be this year. Now, I know that the uh, counter-debate to that is he scored a load of penalties. I get that. Um, not disagreeing with that. Um, I, think, um, I, I think with Darwin, I wonder... Uh, and for not one second am I suggesting that he needs an element of motivation. But I wonder with this signing of, of Robin Lourdes and the emergence of Molino playing in the 10 when, when, when he's needed as well, I wonder if that'll light a fire. I wonder if a little bit of competition, as you insinuated earlier on, will, will give him whatever he needs to push himself a little more. Um, I think after what we all saw last season, 
in what was a far superior team to the one that Minnesota have now, we were all expecting a bit more this year, weren't we? Um, maybe the recent signing of, of Thomas Chacon, maybe that'll motivate him a little more. Um, hopefully he puts his arm around the young lad. I don't know. But I, I would agree with you, it's, it's not been a particularly compelling Darwin Quintero campaign. Um, and I, I just wonder where, where he fits in moving forward. Um, if, I'll be honest, if he fits in moving forward. Um, it, it's, look, we've got nine games left, as I've, I've said several times now. And Darwin can go on and score nine goals. You know, he's that sure, type of player. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but the one, th one thing I will say about this, though, you, you have to perhaps cut Darwin a little bit of slack in the role that he's been playing. He's taking too, too many touches right now, in my opinion. But, but you have to cut him a little bit of slack in the 10 because I don't think him and Rodriguez have combined in the manner in which many would have expected them to. I would agree with that. Um, yeah. And Darwin has, we have seen whatever he's played, whether he's played on, on the left uh, or in the 10 role in Club America or Santos Laguna, uh, sometimes here, that he does play better off of a centre forward. And I don't know if if he's had the opportunity to do that enough here consistently at Minnesota United. Sure. Speaking, sidebar, speaking of, of styling on guys, did you see Carlos Vela's run and Oh, goal? for goodness sake. Oh, my God. It was out of this world, wasn't it? The sheer, I mean, it's impressive. You know, the A, the dummy was amazing. Just that started the whole thing. This was, that was incredible. Um, and then the sheer cruelty <laughs> of the whole rest of that run was um, staggering and just incredible. But was, it, was it Nick Lima on the line, was it, as he was trying to? Yeah, I think that's um, right. I, I just felt sorry for him because um, yeah. he, he bit and then he flicked it and he tried to go for it again and he completely missed it. And, and it was just... He held it and held it and held it <laughs> and then he hit it back across Lima. Like he waited for Lima to go again and then hit it past him. And like uh, Daniel Vega just like shoved him and I was like, fully, Fine. go ahead. Like, <laughs> like honestly, it's so mean. No, it was beautiful, wasn't it? And again, is is pure proof that we have some world-class talent in this league. And yeah. I, I guess the one thing I'm curious now for Steve is I wonder if Carlos Vela is going to go and break the record. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, I think it's something like 25 in 24. Um, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's getting close. It's yeah. getting close. Um, last thing I want to talk about, a little bit out of Orlando, but also this, this has elements going forward into uh, tonight's game. Hassani Dotson remains just a revelation, re revelation and a very good player in the league, uh, especially, you know, just staying on this current trajectory he's on. But, I mean, you also feel the, the, the lack of Ozzy Alonso, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, it was just no knock on Hassani. He can only be the player he is. But I've grown so accustomed to the, the sort of solidity of Ike and Boxy and Ozzy sort of just corralling the game back and then sending it forward the other way. And it's one of those things that I marvel at a lot compared to the way the team looked the first two years. Mm. Because a lot of times coming out of the back, it just seemed like we, there, was, there wasn't a lot of directionality. Um, and now with those three guys at the back, that sort of triangle in the middle of the field like that, it just feels like it, the game's in good hands all the time. And so I, I um, Ozzy didn't travel for this, for this game, as we know. So Hassani's going to be in there. And Hassani and Jan have looked good, I think. But just a, a moment of Ozzy Alonso appreciation for that. It, aside from all of the, the technical things he does well and the subtle, terrific soccer player things he does well, um, 
just the ma- the maturity and the even handedness. Like he's got a, a dad energy about him on the field that I really like. So I I still I was talking to Ozzy Alonso. I was talking about Ozzy Alonso to somebody the other day, um, and I still quite can't believe that there was ever the suggestion that he was done and finished. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I <laughs> look. I understand why the Sounders moved on because they valued Svensson. They also feel that they have a um, you know, enough energy in the center of midfield in the shape of Christian Roldan. Not convinced he's a ready-made replacement for, for Alonso. I think he's much more positive moving forwards. But I can see why the Sounders moved on. And it, it was interesting during the off-season. I remember sort of watching it on a, on a weekly basis. Everyone was sort of thinking, no, 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 no. The Sounders will offer him something. There's no way. He's been there too long. He's still so important. He may not play first-team football regularly there, but he's still a vital piece of the locker room. They'll offer him something. And they never did. And then all of a sudden, there were whispers that FC Cincinnati had at least started to have a conversation. And what I loved about it then was Adrian Heath said, nope, nope, that's not happening. We have to go and get this this guy in and there was a little pushback from from one or two individuals here at the club and Adrian put his foot down and said no we have to go and get this player he would be perfect for us and and we've spoke a lot haven't we Steve about this this win now mentality for this club this year you ain't going to find a, a player that fits that description better than Ozzy Alonso. Yeah, no way. He's um, been tremendous. In, in this league, you know, he's, he's been wonderful. He really has. And, and yeah, look, no doubt that when he's not on the team, you do miss him. They'll, they'll miss him tonight in Kansas City. But he's 33 and you have to watch the legs. Yeah, he wants, fair enough. He wants to play in the Open Cup final. This will be his seventh Open Cup final, by the way. That's a incredible. record. <laughs> that's incredible, yeah. Um, that's a league record. Um, a US soccer record, rather. And... Um, you know, I would much rather have Ozzy Alonso in there uh, for the Open Cup final because, it, it, quite frankly, it is the biggest game in club history, um, you know, up, up yeah. until when Minnesota hopefully advanced into the playoffs and, and what have you. But, um, you know, Minnesota know the importance of this game against Kansas City today, but I, I am not surprised there is... Uh, an eyeball and a half towards the Open Cup, as they should be. Yeah, that's a perfect chance for us to pivot toward Sporting Kansas City and talk about this a bit tonight. I mean, how do you, how does the team approach this game? There's a bunch of uh, conflicting elements to this game to me when you're looking at it, because I think a lot of times when you come up to these games, there's a question of like, you know, rotation, rest. There's a lot of those with this game because it's a Western Conference opponent, right? Which we talk about this as a six point game, but it's also a Western Conference opponent who's in 10th at this point. Uh, but it's also one that's a notable rival of the team and the former team of maybe your most important player or second most important player at worst. But you also have the Open Cup final on Tuesday. So, I mean, what do you, how does the team approach this, this game going into this? It's, it comes in a weird point in the schedule, I think. Well, it does, yeah. But, I mean, let's be honest, our schedule has been nothing but weird all season, has it? I mean, <laughs> Fair enough. I was looking at this, actually. I think it's something along the lines of, over the last eight weeks, there's only been one where we've just had a Saturday-Saturday game. Yeah. That, that's ridiculous, that is. My goodness, you know. <laughs> I, I don't even, don't get me started because that's another debate for another day. But um, it, it's, um, I, I, I'm really intrigued to see how they approach it. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if, th- th- there will be a first-team element in this team, no doubt. Oh, for sure, yeah. Because as you quite rightly insinuated it is a six-point game it is um but 
It wouldn't surprise me if the likes of Robin Lurd, as I mentioned earlier on, come in. It wouldn't surprise me, uh, now, now that he has his paperwork, um, when Tarat is, is given a go at some stage. Uh, Thomas Chacon has, has travelled with the team. I don't think he'll start, but he'll, he'll certainly be available Can at some Can I also stage. say, side note, Chacon is the cutest human being. <laughs> if you've seen him in person, he is tiny. He is. And adorable. I, I felt There's no other word for him right now. I mean, I'm sure he's going to be nasty on the pitch based on what I've seen uh, when we get to see him in action, but he is also just cute. I When he came over for the interview, which I believe you can see on MNUFC.com at some stage, um, I just wanted to wrap my arms around him. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'll look after you. It's okay. <laughs> Come home with me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yes, let, let, let's hope he's an utter beast on the field, shall we? Because yeah. he is a, a rather small individual. But yes. anyway... Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if we see a, a couple of different ideas today. I don't think it's ever a good good idea to disrupt a backline and the consistency of that, unless you absolutely have to. Sure. Um, but, yeah, look, Hassani will play in the centre of the midfield alongside Gregush, I'm sure. Um, and then it, it, it's really pick whoever you want with the attacking quartet, isn't it? Because we're so fortunate now that we, we do have very, very good depth. Um, it wouldn't surprise me again if one or two are saved for the final. But that doesn't mean that they're throwing the towel in. That means that they are, I would argue, a prioritizing, but also it means they have full belief in the player that they're giving the opportunity to today. So um, I, I'm intrigued, but yeah, look, it wouldn't surprise me if, if um, you know, we see a little bit of a, a, a different lineup today against KC. It strikes, me, it strikes me just now thinking about that also that I, I would bet that the element of, um, provide that your depth is good, which the team's depth now is. The element of surprise and changing up your lineup probably benefits you more in a league game than in a cup game. That, you know, in the final, it's like throw out your best, you're, you're starting 11 who you think is your first choice 11. But you, we've got guys now behind the, that first choice who are, who are right there or on any given day could be above those, those starters. And, and playing against a team that you see multiple times in a season uh, in the course of league play where other teams are having to like think about rest and rotation and uh, you know, changing up the familiarity of like who is playing where probably benefits you a little more in a game. That's a league game than, than in this the sort of, you got to win this game or go home element of, of a tournament. Yeah, absolutely. You won't find an argument from me there, Steve. Um, and, and let's not forget as well, the open cup final, you can only have five international players on the roster as well. True, right. So, um, Again, yeah, I, I, have, I have nothing yeah. to add there. <laughs> let's, um, let, let's talk a little bit before we move on to talk about Ike and his role in this game. Um, obviously, it's a big game for Ike. Uh, I think it's, it, it sort of strikes me that Ike seems like the kind of player who's going to just feast on any motiv motivation he can get to get out for a game. You know, I think that playing your old team always matters to guys, but some guys will sort of try to sort of play it off. And I think that Ike has sort of been like, it's another game. But I think that Ike is one of those guys who's going to steer directly into that I am playing my old team thing, um, which is kind of exciting to think about because, you know, we've heard, we've talked to some players and they talk about, I, was, I remember talking to Chase last week and he was talking about sort of what Ike has, how playing with Ike has affected him and his growth as a player. And he talked about game day Ike and that it's, you know, you, he, Chase walks into the locker room and you give everybody, you give everybody high fives going down the line, you shake everybody's hand and you get to the end and Ike is at the end and he's just like head down, headphones on. And sometimes you got to kind of like tap him because he's just going to be in that zone, which is, which is really great. This game will mean a lot to Ike Opara, no doubt. Um, and you're right. He, he has done the whole, oh, it is, you know, just another game and everything, you know, and, and I get it. I, I understand that, um, that 
way of approaching it. But um, look, I, I think Ike, um, I remember when Kansas City signed Ike and um, it took him a little while to get going. He had a couple of injuries. I remember, I think it was 2014, he had a, a major foot issue as well. He, he ruptured the, the, the metacarpal or whatever it was. I mean, it was... Tarsal? It, tarsal, possibly, yeah. One of the two. Um, carpal tarsal, one of them. Yeah. <laughs> and carpals are in your hands and tarsals are in your That's feet. right, that's yes. right. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe he did both of them, I don't know. We're not doctors, but, uh, <laughs> you know. Um, and, uh, you know, there were a couple of people sort of questioning him, saying, you know, well, he, <laughs> what's he done here? You know, he's always injured. He's never really, you know, um, been a major part of, of the team and only had one year when, when um, Casey won the MLS Cup in 2013 and where he was good and what's he really done? And then all of a sudden, 16, 17 and 18 appeared and he was absolutely flawless. Um, Ike Parra in... 2017, I said could have played in the Premier League. I've got no problem saying that. People sure. will ridicule me if they want. I don't care. You're wrong. He could play in the <laughs> Premier League. Um, I don't have the hot take button here. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and um, this this club meant a lot to him. It meant a lot to him. He, he, he came here sort of when, when it didn't go his way in San Jose. And um, it, it was a chance that Vermees and co. took on him. Because he was somewhat of an unknown when he came here. He only had two years in the league, or three years maybe, and, and, and people were sort of trying to figure him out. Um, I know he became a better defender here. Working under Vermees, who was a centre-half himself, I know he played at centre-forward from time to time, but he was a centre-back as well. I know that helped him big time. Um, and just the element of comfort that you get when you're in Kansas City as well, I know that helped him as well. A lot of pressure was taken off of him. But then what happened is... The pressure turned on after Casey won it all in 2013, and there was a demand for playoffs consistently. And a lot of people sort of thought that Ike may very well not be able to deal with that. In actual fact, it was the complete polar opposite, and he took it well and truly in his stride. And I would argue he was perhaps more important than Matt Beasler was during his time here. Beasler was sensational, but and Beasler still is a fabulous centre half, um, and the face of this Sporting KC franchise. Um, and I'm convinced we'll be the manager here one day if he wants to. Um, Here's a hot take. Here's <laughs> a button for that. I like that though. Um, but Ike was so so athletic. He covered for so many people. Um, when he played alongside Ellie and Colin as well, um, Colin whilst a good centre-back was, was error-prone, I think it's safe to say, um, Ike was always the one tidying up, always. And um, he, he really grew into his role, particularly over the last, um, last three or four years. He, he, was, he was fabulous. You wouldn't have found a better centre-half in the league, in my opinion. Um, and I think when I, when I found out that, that it was a, a real possibility that Minnesota could, could sign him, Instantly, I got on the phone to a couple of people in Kansas City, and I was like, go on, what, what have you heard? And they said, yeah, it's, it's true. Um, you know, Ike has that element of comfort that I spoke of uh, earlier on that he had in Casey in Minnesota because his, his wife is from Minnesota as well, and they live a nice, comfy life uh, in the Twin Cities. Um, and, and I just think he's evolved so much as a human being over the course of the last six years. I remember the first time I saw him was 2011. 
and and he's just evolved so much um, as a human being and as a player. Um, and, and Minnesota have been so fortunate to to have him, particularly when he's undergoing this this run and this form as well. Um, he, he's been flawless. He really has. But I know he's going to want to come back here and win. Um, I don't know how things ended here for him. I have no interest in knowing whether they were on good or bad terms. But I know that he's going to want to come here and win. He'll put on a show. He will. It's the form he's in. It's the way he is. Yeah, absolutely. But he'll want to come in here and win. Uh, and look, with the form that, that Kansas City are in, with the way Minnesota United have been, I don't think there's ever been a better chance for a Minnesota team to come and win at Sporting KC. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think that do you think this is also a big game for Sporting Kansas City in a sort of in a sort of a unique way with with Ike coming back? I mean, I think that SKC has always had Minnesota's number at Children's Mercy Park. Um, and I think that, you know, a lot of people have been doubting the decision they made to let Ike go, given the way that Ike has played and the way that Sporting Kansas City's season has, has gone. So, you know, I remember coming here last year and thinking, well, that's it. We're not getting this, you know, and then pretty quickly that was obviously the case that's not the way this is shaping up right now so i think there's going to be a lot of <laughs> added motivation for the home side to take their own kind of revenge <laughs> in a uh, way absolutely steve uh, and and look this is this is as we all are all fully aware this has not been a good campaign for sporting kansas city and the standards in, in which they hold themselves to I, I read something um doing the prep yesterday in each of the last four seasons, Kansas City have had at least 10 home wins in the regular season in Major League Soccer. With nine games remaining, they've got five. The maximum they can get is nine. And, and I know that's not a huge drop-off, but th- I, in my opinion, they won't get nine. <laughs> right. Um, th- there's just been so much of a drop-off here. And, and I just... Um, I, I can't put my head around it, really, Steve, as to, as to why... Um, it, it's no doubt the players, some of the players that we mentioned earlier on, the likes of Beasley, Zussi, Espinosa, Sinovic, all lovely lads and very, very good players. They're all 32, 33. It, it is, um, I think, acceptable to say this team is undergoing a transition year. Um, but when I watch them, and I fully expect the same this evening, by the way, I fully expect Sporting Kansas City to have plenty of the ball, uh, maybe even dominate in possession because I think Minnesota will hit on the counter. But um, I, I think they will move the ball around in midfield. That They'll probably play a, a midfield three. Again, that wouldn't surprise me. I don't know if Ilya Sanchez is going to play or it's going to be Gutierrez in, in the, the deeper role with Failharbor and Espinosa. Or, I don't know. But either way, they, they have some good options in, in the midfield and they, they will always play a three in midfield. Um, but they, they've always had plenty of the ball. The biggest issue I've seen from Sporting Kansas City, um, not only this year, but particularly this year, is that they've not been able to finish teams off. And that's what happens when you don't go and, and buy a centre forwards who can score goals. And, and if you don't, you better hope that you've got some players around him that can find 10, 15 goals a season. And the only player really that they have of that magnitude is Johnny Russell. Um, who himself hasn't had a good year either to his standards. But even players like Ilya Sanchez has been poor this year. He mm-hmm. will, I, I know he will put his hand up and admit that. Um, Daniel Shallowy got uh, 14 goals last year. Yeah, He's got bad. zero this yeah. year. So I, th- I think it's a combination of so many individually poor performances and, and, and rotten seasons that have really given Kansas City this issue this year. And let's not forget as well, at the start of the year, they were riddled with injuries as well, yep. which, which I think 
discombobulated them a lot because they, they'd worked on so much in preseason coming into the new season and they couldn't necessarily execute what they wanted to because of the injuries. It took them a while to get going again. So it, it, it's been um, uh, an unsatisfactory campaign for, for Sporting KC. And, and I think, you know, watching it as we do, watching the league as we do, it, it, it's borderline bizarre seeing them where they are. Yeah, And, sure. and I, I fully expect them to be back next season. But the, the one thing that they need to do, in my opinion is they need to go and get a centre-forward. I know they tried in the last window and didn't get anything done, but they need to go and get a centre-forward that, that can score goals in this league consistently. If Kansas City get a 20-goal-a-season a forward, if they had that this year, I think they would have been absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about the Open Cup because we're not going to record another podcast before before the Open Cup final happens. Not even on the flies. <laughs> well, I guess... <laughs> we can see what we can do. We'll see what we can do. Um, this, this is going to be tough. Um, yeah. Mercedes-Benz is right up there with the hardiest, hardest stadiums to play in, uh, particularly if it's a big game, which this obviously is. Atlanta's recent results, okay, 5-0 over Houston at home, 2-0 over D.C. at home, 3-4 loss to LAFC on the road, which is no shame, 3-0 uh, over the Galaxy, 2-1 over NYCFC at home, 2-0 over Portland on the road. Atlanta looks good right now. They've hit form at the perfect time, unfortunately. I would argue... The worst time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, unfortunately for Minnesota United, they really have hit form uh, at the wrong time. Um, but what I will say, Steve, is that this is a cup final. And it's it's just... Anything like, can happen. Anything can happen. <laughs> it, it can. It's like a playoff game. Yeah. Anything can happen. Um, I, I can't tell you the amount of, of cup finals I've watched, particularly back in Europe, whether it's the FA Cup final or the Champions League final or, you know, Copa del Rey final or whatever... And, and it doesn't go the way you think it's going to. Um, it, 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 can, <laughs> it can be decided in the most bizarre fashion at times. But um, looking at it on paper, yeah, it's, it's, it may very well go down as the most difficult game of the season. Um, yeah. uh, maybe away at LAFC will we'll, um, perhaps leapfrog and, and, and earn that title at some stage. But um, right now in, in the immediate future, I can't think of a more difficult game that I we would have mean, had to have I mean, and I think most of it, that LAFC game might be more difficult based on the, the, the opponent, but again, that's a league game in the context of an entire season where there's decisions being made on either side of it. This is like, win this game or that's it, right? Yes, yes. And so in that sense, it's sort of the single, it's going to be the single most difficult mountain to climb unless somehow Minnesota United ends up in, in the final, in the playoffs. So, you know, this is this is sort of it for this this moment for this team, which is it's going to be tough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what do you think? Is How is Atlanta vulnerable? Um, do you think that, you know, I know Adrian doesn't like to, he doesn't want a bunker. He wants to play with the ball. He, but I think, he, I feel like you, you sort of have to recognize, given Mercedes-Benz Stadium, you just want to take the air out of that building. Yes. So if you can just bunker down and just, you know, keep, get the fans bored, you know, like he talks about this all the time with Minnesota United playing at home, that they need to keep the fans engaged by playing in the, the, the other team's final third, by getting balls into the box, by getting opportunities. I think he appreciates that element of it, that if you can stop the home fans from having anything to really root for, that's what you want to do when you're on the road. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the main area where Atlanta are vulnerable though, Steve is between the lines. Um, they have gone over recent weeks with Lorentowitz and Nagby a little deeper. Nagby, um, 
I, I think over the last few weeks has been tremendous. Yeah. Um, I, I would put him up there as one of the best central midfielders in MLS at the moment with the way he's playing. But in between those two and then the back line, um, Miles Robinson is a candidate for MLS Defender of the Year, in my opinion, alongside Aiko Parra. But, um, and Gonzalez Perez has, has been consistent as well. But Never like that guy. <laughs> but but in, between, <laughs> in between that area, I think, is where Minnesota could find success. And, you know, throughout the, a certain part of the season as well, they, they were going with the, the five at the back as well. And, and Julian Gressel was playing a right wing back, and they got exposed a little bit down the, that, that particular side. Um, so I know they've gone back and forth with that, so I don't know which way they're going to go this time. But um, in between the lines for me, Steve, I think, um, hey, look, if ever there was a time for Darwin Quintero to shine, this would be the moment. Yeah, well, and the good news is that he has been excellent in Open Cup competition, specifically. Yes. six and four. So, you know, if, if, that's, if that's what it takes, then, <laughs> then use that, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And look, I mean, as I say, we... we <laughs> Let's get the Kansas City game out of the way first. I but I, I, <laughs> I, I don't know how Adrian's going to line it up. It'll be as strong as he possibly can be with, obviously, um, that there'll be an, um, you know, a, a, a difficulty at some stage, given the fact you can only have five international players. So somebody will have to make way. But um, Adrian will, will, will absolutely go for it, as he should do. Um, he's won cups in the past. He's won the FA Cup. He, he knows how much it can mean. Whilst we're talking of this in Kansas City, you know, they've won the Open Cup three times in the last six years, you know, um, seven years rather. Um, and it, it really can put you on, a, on a, a different level. It can elevate you as a franchise because, you know, you, you, you walk into Allianz Field, and I remember walking into Children's Mercy Park and seeing at the time this lovely glittering new stadium. It was fantastic. And, you know, you've got everything you would ever need. Training facility was wonderful. Um, the one thing that was lacking was silverware. It had everything to prove that it was top club apart from silverware. And then they won the Open Cup. And then they won MLS Cup. And they proved playoffs consistently year after year that they were a top club. So if Minnesota United do go, they're already being held in a higher pedestal because of, of reaching the Cup final, no doubt. But if they go and claim the Open Cup, if they go and win their first major league piece of, of hardware, they'll be viewed very, very differently across the entirety of North America, let me tell you. Yeah, and I, I, I want to say also that obviously I don't think the, the team, the players, should, should simply be satisfied with making the final. But I think for us as observers and, and for fans who follow the team, to also just take a moment to recognize that alone as an achievement, that this is the farthest any Minnesota soccer team has gotten in the tournament. Um, and it's playing in a final. And it's, yeah. it's a great moment. You know, the, the results, it can either be exhilarating or disappointing. But also just appreciate that we're getting to watch a championship with Minnesota United playing for it, which is exciting. Just that sentence alone <laughs> sends shivers up Surreal, the spine, right? mate. I mean, you know, it's it's going to be fabulous. It really is. And and one thing I would just say as well, whilst we have the opportunity and the platform, I, I would just say to to everybody, uh, just enjoy it. You know, I, I know it's it's going to be nerve wracking. I, I know how it is being absolutely. And you know, you'll be on the edge of your seat consistently. I know, but just if you can, just enjoy it and and, and try and embrace uh, and enjoy and, and understand where 
you and your team are right now. Regardless if you're going to the stadium or not, even if you're watching it at a bar or watching it at home or whatever, just take at least a minute or two just to understand how far this club has come and, and enjoy the fact that they're in a major, major cup final. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us for the 71st Sound of the Loons podcast from here in beautiful Kansas City. Minnesota United's next game is tonight, but I'm going to emphasize that the game after that is on Tuesday, August 27th, when they head to Atlanta for the U.S. Open Cup final against Atlanta United. That game kicks off at 7 p.m. Central Time and will be on ESPN2. Additionally, you can be there in Atlanta, thanks to Sun Country Airlines. It's a great trip. You fly down in the morning, taking the game, fly back directly after the game. It's going to be wild. Uh, you can go to suncountry.com slash MNUFC to learn more about that. Uh, there's still a few tickets open for that, I think, so jump on those. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes, or at the very least, a five-star rating. And follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC and Cal at CalWilliamsCom and me at Steve Entris. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are. <laughs>